The Lord's speaking to me just as much today. What I'm about to speak, I really, I'm still trying to fully grasp it too. Like even just this, that revelation, all right? So I'm sitting there with you, and I really want to hear what the Lord is saying to us. Because I felt like the Lord had put a word in front of me, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'll go and I'll do the normal biblical research that I do, and then, you know, I compile notes, but then I seek for the Lord's heart in it. You know, you can get the text. I could go into a history book, and I could go into the library, and I could prepare information for you about anything, right? As a preacher, I've learned how to gather information and how to bring it to you, hopefully in a presentable way, but we need the Spirit of the Lord anointed upon it to bring it to, from words to the Word. Amen. So let's receive from the Holy Spirit what He has for us, and I believe that He has anointed this. His whole Word is anointed, but there are words that are anointed for times, and I believe that time is today. And I want you to look with me at the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and Revelation is probably one of the most misunderstood books of the whole Bible, right? Or uh, the most confusing. We get lots of it, and then all the rest of it, right? There's, you know, thousands of different charts and all different timelines, and, you know, this has got to happen first, and that's got to happen first, and all these other things. But, you know, right within the threads of the book of Revelation, even if you don't understand the end of the world part about it, right? There are nuggets of truth that are so good, and, and you realize it was the last thing that was written to compile this book that we carry around called our Bible, right? So it'd be easy to just take some of the instructional books and to apply them to ourselves and kind of leave Revelation off to the side because, well, that's just a book we look at when we want to talk about the end times, and it's not true. It's not just an end times book. He was speaking to the church. Say, I'm the church. So God was speaking to me. And he starts it right off. Chapter 1, he says, verse 5, he says, Jesus Christ, he is the first to rise from the dead. And he's the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Jesus is the first to rise from the dead, and he is the ruler. Amen. And this is what it says. It says, verse 5, that he rules over all the kings of the world. Everybody say, Jesus is the ruler of his kingdom. And what is his kingdom? His kingdom is dead men risen. Amen. Right? It is a kingdom of those who were once dead but are now alive. And that is you and I. Amen. So he has a kingdom, a kingdom of once dead but now alive. And the Bible says, verse 6, And he has made us a kingdom of priests. Everybody say, a kingdom of priests, for God his Father. So Jesus did something supernatural. He made us something for the Father. And it says, all glory and power to him forever and amen. 
And what I want to speak about today is actually something interesting that many of you aren't aware of, but if you have, maybe you have the New King James, the King James Bible, and there are some other translations. It said the, it said kings and priests. Everybody, who knows the translation? Kings and priests. Anybody aware of that? Some aren't. Some are. And uh, most of the new texts, almost all of the new translations have actually adopted the word kingdom instead of kings, kings being a translation that wasn't the, uh, the earliest. They have found dug up earlier books and earlier translations, and so most of the new uh, Bibles, including the Amplifieds, changed it over to kingdom from kings. Now, it's not that important for us to focus on today, but the reason I'm making that point is what I want us to get today is that you are, I want you to say, I am a kingdom of priests. That means that you are what? Come on, it's self-identified within the statement. I am a, come on, say it out loud. I am a priest. I am a king as well, and I am a priest. I want you to say that out loud. I am a priest. It's a kingdom of priests. And when I was a younger man, there was literally a teaching that was kind of going around. And in fact, it confused me for a long time. Maybe it confused some of the other old timers in here. Old timers in the kingdom, right? You don't have to be old, old to be an old timer, right? I've been saved for a long, long time, even though I'm not the oldest in the room, right? But when I was a younger man, there was this teaching that tried to separate this as there's a group of kings, remember, and a group of priests, and you're one or the other. And it was really hard to be both. You're probably not both. It's impossible to be both. And the idea was the kings are over here. They work in the world. They make the money. And then they come and fund the operation, fund the church. And then the priests, they're the ones who work for God in the church. Now, why am I getting into this? We're going to talk about it being a kingdom of priests. We're not going to be talking about kings and priests. And, but I thought it was interesting to bring this up to you. Maybe some of you are aware, and, and many of you are not aware of this teaching that was going around when I was a younger man. But it's important because the devil has tried since the beginning of time to separate you from your true calling, which is that you are a priest of God. Even there in worship, as I was just talking about Adam and Eve, you know that Adam and Eve were priests of God. The problem is there's been a misconception of what a priest is. Who has a good visual? You know, you can just, I just say priest, and you've got an idea of what a priest is, right? We don't even use that word a lot in the Protestant side of Christianity, right? Maybe more Catholicism side, right? We all have a picture of a priest, right? I don't look like one because I don't have a gown on down to my feet right now, right? I mean, your, your mind, I'm not making fun of them, right? But your mind has a picture of what a priest looks like, right? Maybe we picture a Jewish priest as well, right? Big robes and, and some more theatric things going on around them, right? Some incense, some frankincense and myrrh going on right now, right? Your mind creates, a, you have a picture of what a priest is. I'm not making fun. I'm making a point, okay? And this misconception was created not by God, but by the devil. 
that these are the elites, these are the separated, and you are over here. You're the normal person. And then, you know, then people were like, yeah, but I want to be involved. And they're like, well, that's okay, then you must be a king. You can be involved from outside, and you just bring your money in. You go work, you bring your money in, and we'll do all the work in the walls of the building. And it was never God's design. In fact, I think it's interesting that they started finding older translations of the, of the Bible. It's called the New Text, the NU Text. Do you ever click on the little tiny? When you're reading your Bible, your Bible will have little tiny notes. Do you ever find those? And you're like, why does it say something different than it used to say? If you have a digital version, it's really easy because you click on the little note and it will tell you why. It's called NU text or M text. Who's ever clicked on one of those? And what it says there is it says most translations, uh, basically, I'm just paraphrasing, but because depending on whatever you're reading, but most translations say this and the older text says this. This is why it's been changed or adapted. Now, it's not usually, it's not saying Jesus is Lord, Satan is Lord, okay? We don't usually have those type of complications. It's small things like kingdom or kings. But I think it's very significant because the devil is trying to always slide in and create a separation, you ready? Of the visitor in the church and those leading the church. The same misconception began probably at the same time as kings of priests as the fivefold ministry being the church, and everybody else is a spectator or a visitor. Right? Who, it's hard to break this, but who says on Sunday, I'm going to church? I'm not judging you, right? But do we all say that, right? Because your mind says, I'm going to go to a place where God is. That's If I'm going to go find God, i got to get to the place where God is, and then God's going to be given to me by people who represent him? Who's got, who, am I making the picture correct? Am I painting it correctly? But you know, that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what God's design was. Now, I want to be really clear. Not everybody in this room is going to get up here and grab this microphone and preach a sermon. All right, not everybody is going to be up here on this stage playing songs for you to sing along with and worship God together, all right? But there is no such thing as a visitor, spectator, normal Christian, and then priestly Christian. That dividing line between the priest and the Christian needs to be merged together as one. We are not, you ready? I really see it as three categories. You ready? Unsaved. Priest in training, priest. That's it. You are either in one of those three categories, and there is nothing else in between. Now, God designed the priest, we're going to look at that a little bit, Old Testament, a system to work with man's humanity and man's sin. We're going to look at that in a moment. He also designed the fivefold ministry, not as people to be above you, but more like cheerleaders standing beside you. Even Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he said of himself, I did not come 
to be served, but to serve. Even Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So whether you want to look at this verse as kings and priests or kingdom of priests, well, let's interpret king not with an earthly overbearing ruling definition. I'm going to interpret king from who? Let's, let's just get, let's go to the king of kings. Let's get the correct definition, which is, I'm here to serve you. And if we really are all priests, then you're here to serve him, he's here to serve you, and you're here to serve, and we're all here to serve each other. Now, the positions might look to the earthly eye hierarchical, right? It could look like Adam's over there with the microphone, I'm sitting in a seat, and that's just the earth's perception. To God, we're all just like cells of a body, that's why the Bible calls it a body, and it says, is there one more important than the other? Of course not. Imagine, you know, an eye was like, I want to be a foot, and a foot was like, I want to be an eye. Well, each of those serve completely different purposes, but each is just as important as the other. Anybody willing to give up a part of your body? <laughs> These are funny would-you-rathers. <laughs> Levi's always like, would you rather have a hand or a foot? I'm like, I want both, man. I don't like the would-you-rathers because I don't want to give up either. The kingdom of God is not elites and special super-Christians and normal Christians. And the reason I'm making this point, and for so long, is because what I want us to get today, and I'm just going to bring us into the seriousness of what it really means to be a believer and be called by God. That when we get saved, yes, there is initial, there is an, when people come into the building we call a church. The people who came in to that building are what? They are the church, right? The church came to a building called the church, right? We just happen to have a building also called who we are. We should just call it our meeting place, right? The Bible, they didn't call it the church. There was no confusion. It just says they were in a meeting place. They were in an upper room. The church, right? The church gathered in an upper room, the church went to a meeting place. So when we gather, we are the church. Now, there's going to be people who come in the doors that don't quite know who Christ is yet, but they're intriguing. There's something about this Jesus, and I want him. Now, the rest of us are called to be correct lights and witnesses so that we reflect him properly so that the people who are visiting actually say, I want that Jesus. I was intrigued, but now I don't want him. They should say, I want that Jesus. I can see he's real and he's doing something in these people's lives. Then there are those that are, they have decided I want to follow him, but they are immediately put into an apprentice program which is, okay, what am I supposed to do? It's not rules and regulations, is it? Right? Who, who feels like you are bound by rules and regulations following Christ? No, it's life. Who calls it life? It is life that we have. And you are immediately put into a place where it's like, well, I want to know about this Christ because, first of all, first of all, now I have realized he's God. I was dead, and he's offering me life. Okay, just, that's just first of all. But second of all, it's going to make everything I do on the earth better. I'm not saying easy. I did not say easy. Probably harder in the natural, but better. Amen. 
Why would I not want to press in? But I want to show you, and then there are those who have been in it for longer, who we would look at and say, oh, those are priests. But really, you are always, you are already a priest, and I want to show you that there is no separation so that we realize how serious it is. When we lead people to Christ, we should not be flippant. There should be a disclosure before we lead them to Jesus. Imagine, you imagine this was salvation. Let's see how many people would get saved. You ready? Here's a guillotine over here in the corner. Would you like to become a Christian? Anybody want to raise your hand and come forward? That's the pathway. How many people, we went to a big crowd, how many people are going are gonna to raise their hand and come forward? I see that hand. I see that hand. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't see any hands. Right? We, we, we dim the lights. We turn the lights down to make everybody as comfortable as possible because we don't want to make them anxious and nervous. And then everybody else has to close their eyes. And then the pastor is going to pick out the hands, which we, listen, I didn't see that hand get raised. Did he or didn't he see that hand get raised? I don't know. Maybe he's making them up. Because never as many people come forward as he said he saw their hands. Right? And then we're like, now I want you to come forward. And they're like, I didn't sign up for that. I just raised my hand. What do you mean I got to come forward? So then we adapted and we're like, let's bring you to a back room. We tried to make salvation, you get, well, I'm, I'm making fun, okay, on purpose, not making light of what salvation is, but of the system that we designed to try to get people to just say yes to Jesus. What we need to say is this, you are dead, you are headed for hell because your life is bound by sin. If you don't believe that, that's not my job to convince you, that's the Holy Spirit's job. And there's an offer. There was the Son of God. We're talking the creator of everything you can see. His only Son got on a cross and shed his blood to wipe those sins that you think or don't think you have away from all history and is offering you, instead of you getting under that guillotine, he did, and he will take your life and make it something incredible. Who wants that? That's what salvation is. And the moment that happens, if we made it, if we were more serious about what was happening and not just that you said a prayer, now you've got a ticket to heaven, right? Who feels like it has been minimized to a ticket to heaven? Right? I hear these, I, sometimes I hear it on the radio or I watch it on TV and they're like, just say this little prayer. It's gotten shorter and shorter, hasn't it? First of all, Dan, is there a prayer in the Bible that they prayed? There is no salvation prayer. Now, who prayed a prayer? We all did. Is God offended by the prayer we prayed? Of course not. That's not the point I'm making, right? Dan's not offended at me. Right? But we came up with these, like, things, just say this. Repeat after me. And then they get shorter and shorter. And it was like, Jesus, I want to know you. That's it. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't hear those prayers. But what happens is if that person's heart wasn't truly committed to what they were saying, right? Rick, how many, how many times? Rick... I'm going to expose him because I think it's funny because he loves the Lord so incredibly much. BC, right? He said his name got written and scratched out more times than he can. <laughs> Every other week he was getting written, and, written in and re-blotted back out. 
Lord had to create a new page just for Rick. <laughs> it's a new page in heaven in the Lamb's Book of Life with Rick's name on it. But this time it's written in blood. Because there was a point where it wasn't just a statement. It wasn't just a quick ticket to heaven. It wasn't like, oh, man. I like what the preacher's saying. Something clicked where his heart said, I want to give my life to this Jesus. And at that moment, that's it. I mean, it's done. It's finished. It's written in blood in heaven. Amen. Amen. But you know what? There's no convincing him. Who had to gather around him and be like, Rick, you need to be a good Christian. You said that prayer, but now you need, did anybody have to get around him and instruct him? Because I'm pretty sure he started instructing us. Isn't that funny? But that's exactly what happened, isn't it? When it's real, there is a seriousness that comes with it. And that's what I want us to get today. Now, I know that most of us in here are mature Christians, so the Lord's bringing me with a sermon like this to mature Christians because there is another level. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, there is a deeper place that he's calling you. There's a deeper place he's calling me. There is another level of commitment to him. He has held nothing back. I owe him everything. Amen. Who's doing okay so far? Amen. I want us to look just quickly. I want us to see that the Lord actually wanted this from the beginning. The Bible says, I want you to go with me all the way back to the book of Exodus. Who knows what Exodus is, all right? We're just, you know, we're going through the Bible again, and we're going to be getting into all of this as a church if you're reading the Bible along with us. But Exodus is interesting because what's happened is, is God made promises. He made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph, right? He made them promises. And finally, some things are getting fulfilled. And what happened is, is God frees them from Egypt. Now, why it's so significant is everybody, just so we are engaged, everybody say Egypt, all right, I want you, you guys can, you can spend some time with me, we can get into it deeper, but I'm always racing against that clock, that clock's always faster than me. Um, we'll get into it a little bit deeper, a different time, but just for, you're going to have to believe me for now, I want you to say this out loud, Egypt is the world. All right, some of you already know why, we can get into depth of it some other time in the sermon, or you can talk with me privately, but Egypt represents the world. You got saved from the world. They were like, they were dead. They had no identity, right? Egypt had put Israel under slavery, and they had zero identity as a people. They had an internal identity, an identity amongst each other, but to the world system, they were nobody, and they were dead, and they were enslaved. And God miraculously, just like Jesus miraculously, freed them from the grip of the taskmaster, right? The whips upon their back. Satan has been whipping upon your back. Before you came to Christ, you were fully aware of the world system and its grip upon your life, weren't you? You were fully aware of its weights upon you. Or maybe you became more and more and more and more aware. You're still, I'm still becoming more aware 
The more I get closer to Christ, the more I realize the weights that this world tries to put on you. And so God frees them, and he brings them to, the, to Mount Sinai, and the Lord's now going to meet with them. He, goes, he said all along to Pharaoh, right? And we can just look at Pharaoh as Satan, right? He even has the serpent on his head as his symbol, right? He said, Satan, you got to let my people go. Amen. Wow. Just saying that's exciting. Satan, you got to let Red go. It's his time. He's coming, coming into the kingdom. Amen. Wow, that's just powerful. It's powerful. It is so powerful, isn't it? And this, and they, they come and they said, I want, they're going to come and they're going to worship me. You're gonna, we're going to free so you can worship me. See, this is the purpose. That was the purpose. The, worship is not singing songs, not raising your hands. We do those as symbols, just like we take communion as symbols. Amen. Right? Jesus is not here still on the cross, but when we take communion, we are fully aware we're representing his body and his blood, right? And so we raise our hands as abandonment, as like, I give up, and it's all yours, all the glory. I mean, I'm getting lower, just lift you higher, amen? We have these symbols, but worship is deeper than that. Worship started in the heart. It's that, oh my gosh, like all the prophets, when they get into the presence of God, they start cowering, right? They all start trembling, they're like, I, I, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I'm desperately wicked. I, I realize that, wow, you are God, and, and I'm the sinful man, and you love me. That's worship. That's where it starts. And so the Lord's going to bring them to this place. They're going to worship God. They come out to Mount Sinai. They get up there to the mountain, and the Lord says this to Moses. And he says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, he says, If you will obey me. And keep my covenant. Everybody say, if we obey him and keep his covenant. He said, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. Verse 6, he says, and you will be my kingdom of priests. Let's just say that out loud. We are a kingdom of priests. God's holy nation. And so we see all the way back in Exodus, we're read in Revelation, what he's speaking to us, right? Revelation is speaking to us. But God was post-Christ, post the cross, post the falling of the Holy Spirit, saying it again. That's why we started there in Revelation, but he's saying what again? The same thing he's been offering all along and wanting all along, which is that when I brought you out, I didn't just bring you out to put you in the promised land. What ends up happening in the promised land? Come on, a little 10-second church history here, Bible history. They end up ruining everything, right? The more they get, the more relaxed they get, the more comfortable they get, the more they're like, well, let's just start bringing in a little more of the world, a little more of the world, and what happens? Eventually, it's just world and no God. But we see that what God has always wanted was a separated, consecrated, that just means outside of the world. That means that the world can think whatever they want. Right? We don't judge the world. We don't hate those in the world. Outside right now, those who decided to watch football instead today, we're not hating them. We're not cursing them. Right? We're not better than them, but we have decided that we are going to make God, who has given us the most incredible offer of all time, the center of our lives. Amen. And so he offered this to them, and he said, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. Now, 
<laughs> this is really hard to read, but I want us to see something, okay? You ready for this? So the guy, the guy, wow, wow, it's God mixed together with guys. These guys are going to be called to be priests by God. That's what I was trying to say, the guy, the guy, is there something in there? And in Exodus 28, I'm just going to very quickly, we're not going to read all the words here, but God says, Aaron, you and your sons, you're going to be my priest. You're going to represent me. And he says, in Exodus chapter 28, he says, uh, I want you to set them apart. I want you to say aloud, I set apart from the rest of the people. Now, who were the rest of the people? This is the people of Israel. This, were, this is, uh, is pre-Christ, so Old Testament. There was a hierarchical system. It wasn't what God wanted, but... It was God was working before the blood of Christ with humanity and with sin, and he had a whole system of animal sacrifice and with priests and so on, and we're going to get into this as quickly as I can. But God allowed for a season, right? Who's aware? Our Bible history, God allowed for a season, a hierarchical system, where a priest was the in-between. Everybody say the in-between. You know, the intermediary. Is that the right word? The mediator in between you and God. So it wasn't what God wanted, but what God did is he said, I want to be with my people, and I want and my people, they're saying they want to worship me. So he put a system in place where you, the normal person, can get to God through a priest. Now, I'm not here to judge the churches that have decided to leave the priest system as a thing that's in between you and God. I'm not judging them, but I'm going to tell you right now, by the word of God, that's not biblical. And we're going to look at that before this clock runs out in the next 10 minutes. It's not biblical, but that God called you to be priests and go directly into his presence yourself, not through a man. But initially, he puts them in this place, but I want you to see something here. So they do all, just, just think of all that has gone on to get to this place. You can read it in your own time, but the Lord's like, I want you to put this, this special clothes on them. You know how long it would have taken to make clothes? We're talking 3,000 years ago in the wilderness. Like, it's just a big deal going on here. And he's like, I want you to make gold stuff to put on them, a lot like what you would see like as a, a really high-up priest today, maybe in the, in the Jewish system or the Catholic system, right? You see with all the stuff on them. And he's like, I want you to do all this, and I want you to distinguish them from my service. And then in Leviticus chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 1 that Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they put coals of fire in their incense burners, and they sprinkled incense over them. And it says in this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong, or you may have it in your translation as strange or even profane. They did something where they took some coals. We don't know exactly if they used old coals, or, but they basically, there's, they had a system in place, and they did their own thing. Everybody say they did their own thing. That's the easiest way to understand what happened here. They were called by God. They're priests by God. They have all this stuff set up, 
And here we are, first generation, here's the priest. You would think God would have a lot of grace for them, right? Took so much stuff to get figured out. You just came out of Egypt. You're still figuring it out. I'm going to give you some grace. Don't worry, you're going to make mistakes. No. You know what it says? It says, so fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. Who loves this story? This is a great story for Sunday morning. This is all amazing for a preacher to preach. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died before the Lord. And then, you ready for this? The Lord talks about his holiness is going to be displayed, verse 3, and he's gonna, his glory. And then it says, he tells Aaron, the, his, the father of his kids, and this is the first generation, and he says, he says, do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die. And the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. And then he tells him in verse 7, you can't even leave the entrance of this tabernacle because you have the anointing oil on you. If you do, you'll die. And then he says, you must, verse 10, distinguish between what is sacred and what is common between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees that the Lord has given them through Moses. Wow. If the Lord didn't want us to read this story in just about the blood of Christ, he would have annexed it out of our Bible. Who is thankful, even more thankful, for the grace of Jesus? All right. The amazing mercy of God through the blood of Christ. I want you to hear something, though. If I am God and I choose to give you grace, it does not mean that I am a different God than I was in the Old Testament, New Testament. Some people are trying to create and make up a new God, a God that is so easy. And this is what I'm saying. I'm not a I'm, I said the same salvation prayers. Why I made such a big deal about that. But God is a serious God. He is so gracious. His love, I'm telling you, you can literally just say, Jesus, I need you. And that's a salvation prayer because the heart is what he's looking at it. Okay? I wasn't telling you that you didn't get saved because you didn't pray the right words. That's not my point. My point is, is that God is so big, he's so great, he's so holy. And just because the grace of Christ is so great does not change the seriousness and holiness of God. And we must have an, a revelation and awareness of that. A reminder of that God is still God. Because Satan is so sneaky, and who has seen too, too, who has seen too many of your friends and family, maybe you grew up in youth groups, they just, it was so easy that little by little, one by one, gone, gone, gone. How many of your friends and family carry on and are still saved years and years later? It's heartbreaking. And it's honestly, it's not, it's really, it's nobody's fault except Satan's. But it was so flippant and so easy, right? More and more world comes in, more and more world. 
We are separated because God's called us to be first of all, okay? That's what the Word says. But secondly, because it's a protection around you. When we realize the seriousness of the priesthood and we get separated from the world, when you stop watching those Netflix movies you're not supposed to be watching, listen, it's TVMA. It should be called, when I was a kid, NC-17. Those were the movies that even non-Christians didn't go see. Now we call it TVMA, and it's just a click away, so it's acceptable. But what that's doing to you is it's, it's, it's not taking your salvation away, but what it's doing to you is it's injecting world into you, concepts and images and feelings and thoughts that are not godly. And eventually, it's not God kicking you out of heaven, taking away your salvation. It's you making the decision that I would rather the world at this point in my life. And that's what happens. It's a very serious God that we serve, but this is what the Bible says in, let's go to the New Testament. I, don't, I know none of you in here, but there were days where, man, churches can get ruthless. And if you get on YouTube, you're still going to find this ruthlessness. Not in this room, but man, people are so opinionated about every, every theology and Old Testament, New Testament, etc. right? We're not even going to go there. But let's look New Testament just to see that this is not just an Old Testament concept. We have the blood of Christ. Let's just, th- let's just say it out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that doesn't strike us dead the moment we make a mistake. Right? We should be really, we should, I, I said it some time ago. Someone listening on the podcast is going to be excited because they asked me when I preached it last. I was like, I don't remember. We should crave the grace of God. I don't want to downplay it and call it a drug because that makes it worldly, but it should be the drug you desire, his grace. When we realize how good it is and what it does for us every single day, every moment, and it causes us not to be flippant, does it? It causes us to be very sharp when we realize how gracious he is. But this is what it says, New Testament. It says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Verse, uh, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, everybody say, and I'm a living stone... It says that, is, that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Now, Peter is not making any distinction. He's not like, hey, send all the baby Christians out of the church. I've got some th- deeper things to teach you. He writes a letter to the church and says, I want you to realize that you are, let's just say it out loud again, I am the temple of God. Right? We have all the other verses, too, that line up says, my body is his temple. And I am his, let's say it again out loud, his holy priest. Each and every one of us in this room, when you call on Christ and when you truly get saved, you are now a priest for God. We'll get into what that means in a deeper way next week. But what I wanted you to get today is the seriousness of that call. It is not light and it's not flippant, and there is no coming to Christ but not being a priest. 
<laughs> I just finally got to the point. Ready? I'm willing to come to Christ, but I certainly wouldn't want to be a priest. Come on, don't think that you all weren't thinking that. Because you have an image of what a priest is. You're like, a priest, that's boring. They never get to do anything. They're locked away in some place, some room, and, and what, they just get to see people on Sundays? They don't get to make any money. Well, you know, the king and priest thing was interesting back when I was a kid because the kings could be millionaires and no one would judge them because they had a good invention. But man, if the priest had a nice car. See these separations we create? Isn't it funny? The guys that serve the Lord, we judge them. But the guys who have good inventions were like, man, I'm so jealous. That's a good idea. These are not God's separations. These are man-made separations. You are meant to be a priest and you, you know what ends up happening is you realize money is irrelevant. What is money? A lot or a little. It's just, it's, listen, at the end of the day, whether you ate good or you ate little, you ate. Whether you sleep on a really comfy bed or you sleep on a piece of plywood, at the end of the, when, when you finally wake up, maybe you have to learn to wake up. You have to learn to sleep on something harder. But eventually, it's just food. It's just clothes. It's just sleep, right? Who has learned this revelation? And then it doesn't matter. God can bless you and you don't care, right? You're just thankful and grateful and you can have little like Paul says and it doesn't matter. All these separations that we make are not godly separations. Those are man-made and it's designed to keep people in the world. And that's what it says right here. I'm, tr I'm trying to close this up for today. He says that Jesus made us this. This, this is what we were designed to be, and it says, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And it says, as the scriptures say, he goes on, he's saying that Jesus is this cornerstone, and then it says that the, that the people were tripping over him. They didn't understand him. But it says that you recognize him, verse 7, and finally, it says in verse 8, it says that the stone that makes the people stumble, the rocks that, that makes them fall, it says it was this, this fate was planned, but it says, verse 9, but you say, I'm not like that. I ain't even like that. Right? You are not like that. You were not the one that stumbled over Christ, where you were like, I don't get him, I don't want him. No, we decided not to stumble over what we don't understand. But he said, you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, you are a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity, verse 10, as a people, and now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. And then he says something interesting in verse 11. He's going on about us being holy and chosen and separated in God's very own possession. And then he says, verse 11, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Verse 12, be careful 
to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. That's the other side of the priest. We'll look into that another week. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. What does the word say? The word says, you are a priest. And Peter's like, let me be clear of what this means. That means that your desires are for the Lord. You have realized that God owns you. You are not your own. You are not free just to do what you want and think what you want. Your thought is based on the word of God. You cannot just say, well, the culture says this, and I think this, and I feel this, and I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to build this, and I'm going to make a name for myself. No. Many of those things may happen in your life by God's design, but it is God who is directing. You have given. You have to realize you did not accept something. You gave something. You realize this. It was already given. He's already, I mean, it was, it's anybody in the entire world who says yes to Christ can have it. I didn't accept it. I gave my life to him. That was it. He said, there's one way in. You give your life. I've already made the door. Jesus is the door. I'm the way. You got to come in. He didn't say say a prayer. He said, come in. Come in. What does it mean to come in? It means to come out of the world. It means that you are not in the world. Its desires, its pulls, its plans, its thoughts, its feelings are gone. And there's no struggling or striving, is there, Rick? You don't have to try to not be worldly anymore. You'll, feel, you'll see those tugs around you. You're aware of them, but they don't have a pull on you anymore, right? You say it all the time. It just doesn't pull on me like the way it used to. I, I'm aware that it's there. I'm very aware of the world, but they don't pull on. I just don't want it anymore. It's not hard when we truly get to that place. Amen. I, was, I know I went long, but you waited two weeks to hear from me, so you have to deal with it. But it was a joy to preach this. I know the Lord's going to expound on this more. It's a very serious thing, a very... It, we are called, all right? It used to be a teaching that we would go and pick out the called of the church. That's not God. Every single one of you in here is called by God. It doesn't mean you have to grab this microphone. I know you're getting scared. You're like, I don't want to be a priest. But you are called to represent the Lord in your family, in your workplace, right? Everywhere you go, you are called to be a priest, which is carrying his glory and reflecting it. We'll get into that. You are carrying his glory with you. You are the temple carrying and ministering to the Lord personally and to the world around you. Amen. We just thank you, Lord Jesus, for this word. And I just pray, Lord, you anoint it into our hearts. Lord, you take the words from my mouth, and I pray they become deeper, their spirit. I pray they get deposited in us, Lord, like seeds in good ground and grow into life in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you.